0: Hello, and welcome to the other web. Our guest today is Steven Schrambeck. Steven is a software engineer, AI developer, and storyteller. He talks about how to use technology instead of being used by it.
1: Hey Steven, welcome to the show. Hey Alex. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming.
0: So I heard you have some really interesting ideas about artificial intelligence and how it might affect human behavior. I see that humans tend to do some pretty stupid things. And so, is there a way that we can use an aid to make them do something better
1: yeah um absolutely so I think of the current state of AI um as being useful as like commoditized intelligence pretty narrow um despite claims to the otherwise uh, but it's that's still exceptionally useful and far far underexploited. exploited um so I mean I I feel very strongly in that premise Uh, So I'm building some software actually called Intent that I'm calling um, executive control assistance software. So this is basically, um, it's a model that watches your devices and knows exactly what you're doing. That sounds sort of dystopian, but it's running locally, yada yada privacy. Um, So what it does is transform literally what you're doing on screen uh, to a sort of data rich uh, human readable log. Oh, you're checking your bank account. You're shopping for a new camera. Um, At varying levels of information density and then all of that is handed off to a large language model Which has really one purpose you tell it. Hey thing. I Want you to prevent me from watching anime (laughs) during these hours Uh, I am trying to be working on my proposal my book proposal if I do anything else like stop me All right, basically here's what I want. Here's what I don't want however people want to frame that Um, so it's a way to use artificial intelligence to further allow your higher-minded self to tie down your lower-minded self so that when you're at your worst and it's 11 p.m. and you're like, screw this proposal. I don't want to do it. It just comes on screen, little chatbot. Hey, <laughs> looks like you're doing something you shouldn't be. You have the reason with it in order to get it to stop you from, it will literally have the ability, again, what do you want? Whatever you want, turn off your computer, minimize the, the program. It's yours. It's customizable. So that's the theory. Um,
0: so it reminds me of a cookie jar that you could lock so that it only opens on Friday at 7 p.m. and you can't. Exactly like that. But imagine
1: that. having to negotiate with the cookie jar, explaining why this cookie is for business and not for pleasure. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, I'm on Facebook because I need to update this thing. You got to reason with it and attempt to convince it.
0: Will people reason? Or with those cookie jars, typically I think they ended their life with somebody taking a hammer to them.
1: Right. Um, so there is a lot of edge cases, nothing can solve everything. There's ways to solve that with, I think, um, accountability. I think that honestly, groups like AA have figured that out a long time ago, and that is pure accountability. And you care what other people, if you break the cookie jar, there are people who are gonna find out or there's some penalty for that, but nothing can stop anything. And the goal is not really to lock you in. It's just easier to make it, makes it easier to do what you already want to do. Doesn't make it impossible. Those are two very different problems.
0: So I think it's interesting that if you look at the input, the processing, and the output, what you just described focuses on the processing, where people tend to have some high-minded goals, but then what they actually do in real time tends to prioritize the cookie, right? But the question is, what do you do if the inputs are bad? Like, if, if the information that feeds into a person's decision-making is junk, is it helpful that he has these tools to optimize life towards being good with regards to that junk?
1: No. Um, So this is one stage of the pipeline. Um, Yeah, To try to solve everything in one is is impossible, Uh, which is why, yeah, we definitely need people who do things like curate news and clean it out for you. Um, But I can't fix those inputs as easily. Um, That is certainly an add-on that you can include. But for the most part, that's not a problem i can solve easily if you think about it i don't just mean from a technological perspective i mean from an incentives perspective like the attention economy is incentivized to fear monger it is incentivized to cause you to hate to be divisive because you're easier to control to put into buckets and to sell to so you're fighting a very extreme force that yeah you can try to norton antivirus your way out of it but that's kind of a i gotta say it's just I think you should plan for an antagonistic environment. It's great to try and solve it at every stage, and I think you can clean it up significantly, but you should always assume that as long as the incentives to impl- are in place to hijack your brain, that you should assume that others are going to try to. And to fight back is at least one tool in the arsenal.
0: It sounds like those tools are complementary. That's why I asked the question, right? Yes. So in part, once you've already at least You heard this idea somewhere that you should filter out what you put in your brain and stop consuming junk for two hours at a time. Right. Then you can use the executive control function you just described to at least limit the amount of time during which you go to the bad resort.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's not all external. Let's, let's not pretend like we're we don't have enough reason to procrastinate on our own. Sometimes we're seeking the candy as much as it is seeking us. Uh, so we want the people don't just go to Buzzfeed because Buzzfeed wants them to but because they don't want to do whatever they're trying to do, because it's hard or it's scary or it's difficult or whatever reasons. Right. We don't need much excuse. Um, So it protects us from ourselves as well as the outside world.
0: So that's the other reason when you describe this system to people and you try to convince them, does it sound like you're pitching the invention of another parent bring their father
1: back into their life or something? So this is like core audiences, people with ADHD, because this is weakest executive control. Uh, but so far it goes one of two ways. Either it's, holy crap, I need this. Or it's, why in the world would I possibly, <laughs> why in the world would I want this? Like, it's this very, very divisive, but I think it's the people who need it are just like, oh my God, I need this so bad. Like, uh, I, for instance, my computer downstairs turns off at 10 PM. It doesn't ask me. It gives me the one-minute warning, and there's no way to turn it off realistically. There's no way to get in and turn it off in time. So you have a minute to finish what you're doing, and it's going to turn off regardless of what's going on. I want that, but smarter. Uh, But that doesn't mean that everybody wants that. Some people are horrified at their devices being able to control them back. Um, But I would posit that they're already doing it. Uh, It's just more subtle, and now you are being given the, 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 the gears and dials, as it were.
0: I guess that was my next question. People tend to have more than one device. And so now you need the system to somehow be able to control their home PC, their laptop, their phone, their watch nowadays, right? Otherwise they will just find a way to circumvent it. So you would say no social media after 10 PM on your computer. Great, now they're on their phone.
1: It is it is a hard problem with lots of edge cases, starting with higher powered computers that can actually run something like a clip model. Um, and a a pretty cheap local large language model. Um, But yes, it gets harder for especially cheap devices like a watch, which have no hope of running these things on their own, and they have to stream out the uh, activity somehow, different engineering challenge. Um, But starting with something simple um, and then seeing if there's traction from there. There's
0: going to be traction, I think. So the idea sounds great to me because if I could design my own day and essentially tell this model that you're creating I want to read about this much. I want to read the news for about this much during the day. I want to spend this long on social media, but not more. And in fact, even when I read, I want to make sure that I read at least a little bit about the weather, that I read at least a little bit about my personal finances or how my portfolio is doing. I think this is what Balaji Srinivasan was describing as the personal dashboard. The first thing that you see during the day should be something that you designed with all the things that matter to you. I think that would be great. The question is Is it solvable across devices?
1: We'll see. <laughs> I'm not going to pretend confidence on that, right? Uh, it's an engineering problem that is actually relatively tricky. But if it's possible to stream um, high quality games uh, onto cheap devices, that's a sort of analogous problem. So if you can, pl- and those are really cool uh, applications, they just basically stream your inputs and an actual video back to you. Uh, and then, there's a, obviously, they try to minimize latency, latency between those and they do remote processing on the actual games and send you back the, the video and audio feed. Something like that could solve this, but that is not a low-tech thing. Uh, it is, it's a pretty big hurdle, so I got to have a little bit of humility. I think it's solvable. Uh, the question is if, if there's enough willpower to make it solvable.
0: So let me ask you an even crazier question then. Everything is solvable by tech eventually once the tech gets cheap enough, right? If you're able to do this, it sounds like to some extent you're creating a low resolution avatar of my decision making. So can you then generalize it and let this avatar make decisions on my behalf with regards to a bunch of things other than my own behavior? If you already created a model of what I want from life, or at least what my higher self wants from life, can it vote for me?
1: So you're, yes, you are definitely thinking like an engineer a couple of steps ahead. This cheating. Not allowed to do that. Uh, yes. So obviously, when you've been watching the, the writes, you being the human writing the data, and it's reading it and interpreting it with enough writes data, not just from your user, but anyone who has opted in to allowing to, to sell that data in some way, whether anonymized or not, uh, eventually, you have a system that understands how to do operations. It has the label. Here's how you buy a new camera. And it has that a 1,000 times. And of course, different sites, different ways of doing it, different ways of finding it and figuring out what to buy. Now you have essentially a high-level label for an activity. And all of the different possible ways that humans buy cameras, man, you could just train another little model, or a very generalized one, on this entire task of buying a camera. Now you can just type in, buy me a new camera, and it will go boop, 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 boop. (laughs) Just take into account whoever you are, all the inputs, pick the most reasonable path. Now whether that just literally replicates the visuals, it's all on screen, and there's a lot of ways to replicate the rights that is your mouse and keyboard, uh, or talking or whatever you're doing. But it yes, it can pretend to be a human, whether that's you or not, uh, and do the thing that it has learned because it's learning tasks. Um, that's why this data is incredibly valuable long term. Now, you can train your own model for just yourself and not share your data. And that's cool too. And theoretically, it has learned how to do what you want it to if you you know, do your taxes, well, that's a bad, if you do bookkeeping, we'll say you have 5,000 records of bookkeeping activities and they're, as long as they're labeled well enough, eventually you have a pretty good approximation of all of your bookkeeping work. And you could use that data yourself or we could train some downstream models to sort of on that task to just say, hey, do my bookkeeping today. You've seen me do it so many times, like surely you could do it. And even if, you know, my company or somebody else doesn't solve that problem directly, you have all the data to hand off to some other service or to build it yourself. Uh, So that's the theory. Uh, I would like it to be open.
0: Yeah, it seems like that would be an unusual application for it. I'm thinking more in terms of a lot of executives have executive assistants whose job is essentially to automate the things that don't require the executive's unique talents, right? So maybe bookkeeping is something where only the bookkeeper can do it, but remembering to buy your wife flowers when it's her birthday is something that... Everyone with common sense knows you should do. Therefore it doesn't require your talents as a bookkeeper.
1: Sure. Yeah. So I think my preference is to solve a couple narrow problems and collect a lot of good data and then empower people either to, to sell that responsibly to other people who want to build cool stuff and just open it up as a platform to do whatever you want from there. But first. You have to get traction with a product that actually allows you to collect this kind of data while being very useful in the near term so that's that's what i'm looking at now and if that turns into something much cooler down the road where you can do this sort of very high level task automation and more portion dash, personal dashboard stuff that would be cool but you know pie in the sky
0: that was my next question you talked about making it an open platform but i'm thinking what happens with business incentives now being mixed into it the moment you turn it into any kind of business entity, now the entity, whether that's you or somebody else, has an incentive to A, collect as much data as possible, even if the user doesn't want it, and B, drive the user towards more purchasing decisions, even if the user doesn't want to make them. This is the problem, I think, with all the Alexas of the world, right? Where ultimately, it's there to make you buy more stuff off of Amazon, even if you think that it's there to turn the music on when you ask it to. So how do you avoid that or how can you structure this to begin with so that it's more likely to go the benign route?
1: Well, at a high level, you should probably restructure our entire economy and society to incorporate something equal to profit motives. Um, so we'll call it yeah, capitalism plus something like that. So
0: I should I should mention I run a public benefit corporation. So that is a way to do it at a
1: lower level, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think you do something like that, where you incorporate some other uh, high-level uh, nonprofit motive. Or, But honestly, I'm a big fact believer in selfish selflessness, meaning that you should always have every actor in the economic system do the right thing selfishly. And if it does anything else, they're going to try and get around it. So this is stuff like Fiverr or DoorDash or whatever, like people trying to escape the system because they don't wanna pay transaction fees. Like that's them escaping to be selfish. Ideally, you would have everybody, the most selfish thing they can do is continue to use the product in a good way. You get to define what good is, right? Um, that design is a little more difficult, but it would be stuff like actually compensating people for not being bad actors or for putting together open source plugins. Uh, I think retroactive public goods funding is good for this. So. Say, uh, here's my open source plugin for this platform, and it does a lot of the cool things that you know, a for-profit plugin might do. And we all love it. And because it, it's been on the leaderboard for long enough, we're just going to back pay the people who made it uh, because we have their contact information. Here's some money. Thank you so much for building this. And if you can make that lucrative enough through other fees or whatever, you can start to incentivize um, development that is not just for-profit. Um, I think people will do the right thing if you give them enough incentive to do that and financial incentive is a great way to do it Um, so those are some ways you could solve it but there's a lot of ways to come at it ultimately ultimately i think it still boils down to you want to financially incentivize all the behavior good behavior you want to see otherwise you will eventually see a race to the bottom like you just described with an attention economy
0: that makes sense let's get this back to executive control because i think that's an interesting topic to explore in itself. What tends to drive people's decision-making, Like right? So besides this particular tool and what you can fix, what other aspects of it are potentially addressable? Because like I said, people do a lot of stupid shit, pardon my French. So if we can make it even a little bit better, 1% better on a grand scale, it would be amazing. So what can we do?
1: So a lot of what drives us... Um... Is baked right into our DNA uh, and it's cultural. Um, So it's stuff like wanting, seeking social status. I mean, there's, I think, uh, I like the sociological perspective. There's only two games prestige games and power games. Power games meaning I am dominant, more powerful in some way. And prestige games meaning trying to get friends. You just want to look cool (laughs) and people like you because you're useful and helpful. Um, So I think that those are the only two real levers that you have. So incorporating social and community aspects into this is always helpful. That's a fancy way of saying the people you are around or influenced by influence who you try to be. Uh, So if you hang out with a bunch of uh, rockstar uh, benevolent CEOs who are all super fit, your life is going to look significantly better than if you hang out with um, a bunch of people who sit around doing nothing and complain all the time. So who you are influenced by influences, how you behave and how you want to behave. So that changes your intrinsic motivation. That is like one of the most powerful things you can do. Um, Again, I'm sort of preaching to the choir here, but changing your influences is really how you change your world because that's your entire experience. And I think specifically like a subset of that is the people who influence you, not just the sort of nameless anonymous information that comes at you, but who you trust, like your inner circle of people who, two-way communication. They know you and you know them, not just these shallow one-way relationships like Twitter or whatever. Like they have 100,000 followers. They don't know who know her care who you are. So incorporating what you're doing in a way that you are working alongside others, uh, the more you can facilitate these um, sort of social features, but not just like one to 100 social features. Like, that's bad. Uh, going over Dunbar's number is probably a bad idea. This is like me and my most trusted friends or my spouse. Um, These are the kinds of people I want to know what they're doing. I want to be most involved with them and I want them as accountability partners Um, and having hooks into that sort of thing. um, That's how you get people to really care, because then it's not just about them. We really, really, really care what people we care about, think about us. So that is a a powerful lever.
0: Given the way that society has been going, how do we try to pull that lever in a good way? Because it seems like we're getting to the point where pretty soon when you ask people the question, how many close friends do you have outside of family and blood relatives? The mode is zero. So how do we get people to actually have closer friends now that it seems like the local community is broken down? So people aren't actually getting friends that way. And they're substituting following Kim Kardashian on Instagram, but that probably doesn't give them a good role model that they want to behave like. And who will give them the affirmation that they're behaving in a good way? Is there some way we can use technology to actually build a better small social circle for people?
1: Um, uh, yeah, I think so. There's a number of ways to tackle it. Yeah, following Kim Kardashian is like uh, it's like eating Fritos corn chips versus eating like a steamed corn on the cob, and saying that they're the same thing. Like technically, <laughs> it's not really a friendship though. It's not. There's no nutrition here. Um, so yeah, I think that. And we should be very careful not to fight the trend because the trend is not just, I think that the way technology works and the way our internet is set up, it facilitates these many to many connections fighting that to some extent is probably a bad idea because these network effects are powerful. But on the other hand, we do need closer relationships. And I think that micro communities are the way to do this. It's these are interest-based communities but also really just like little digital tribes and you can see people already putting this together they're sort of getting quite tired of the sort of open and public um social media where everybody can see you and you can see everybody that's just like an open storefront um and they're moving into these smaller communities where they're either interest-based or they're just friends that they've sort of pulled off of the highway and into their little quiet community where it's closed door not just anybody comes in um But right now, so these little micro communities are probably the right way to do it. I still think the in-person is good. Like, I don't know, maybe I'm just a Luddite, but like we can do real people stuff too. I think we'll see that movement come back too. And then the other thing besides facilitating these micro communities, which there's a lot of ways to do that, is to improve the bandwidth of communication we have with each other online. Right now, it's very low res, right? Mostly it's text. Maybe you get some pictures or you get some videos which go one way um even to like video calls are not great uh so we are missing body language we're missing tone of voice we're missing all sorts of like in, information channels that are critical those are all just gone that's why you see so many misunderstandings on the internet we're missing a lot of human connection um, and i think that we can intelligently add those like extra layers of communication back into the way we talk to each other and interact with each other online but it's going to take some experimentation And do you think people
0: will do it? Because it seems to me like every time we try the method that takes us towards a higher bandwidth type of communication, people were actually not interested. Right? So when Discord adds the ability to actually be able to run voice and video live, instead of just chatting, it seems like people stop using it after a while. It's just interesting for a while and then they don't use it. Or the same thing with clubhouse and and call in. Where okay, people tried it out, but then because it's live, it's too much of a hassle, let me just go back to watching YouTube. So mm-hmm. how do we actually offer it in a way that people want to take us up on?
1: So this is this is all about like design affordances. I think that happens because there are they're designed to be always on this is not how social stuff works in the real life. People can't just walk into my house and start talking to me, like, like, I'm always available. Doesn't make sense. Like you coordinate social activity, I'll be ready at this time, I'll be ready at this time. Um, So there's like a, a timing problem. It's asynchronous, like, well, I'm ready to chat, even like in a co-working space, like in an office, like you don't just walk up and start talking to people or you get, you get nicknames and people start talking about you. If you just keep interrupting everybody every time they're doing something, we all signal that we're ready for social time. We get up or we're responsive to saying, hey, what's up? Um, so there are analogs and just solve it the way we solve it in the physical world. Stop expecting everyone to always be on all the time as this I sort of think of as like a flow control problem, like water, It's there's no pressure because it's just always on, always open. But if you can constrain the time that we're actually all here to talk to each other, you can get those high bandwidth connections and people are sort of prepared for it, they can opt into it, but there's a lot of other ways. I still think that there's ways to add like information channels to text that don't require people to be so vulnerable. Even just reorganizing the way we do stuff to to know who you're talking to, like attention. When you're talking in life, you know who's looking. They're talking to you because they're looking at you. They're not talking to 20 other people who are in the same chat room. Um, It would be nice to know who you're pointed at. And those kinds of things don't really require much vulnerability, but just some clever re-engineering of how we talk to each other. And that gets us part of the way. There's a lot of ways to solve it. It just needs to be experimented with. I can't claim to have all the answers up front without trying them, though.
0: Well, we're just brainstorming. So obviously these aren't answers. I should mention that back in the day I worked on the cameras for the beam robot, which I don't know if you remember, but that's the one Snowden used to uh, walk on stage on TED. right? So it's a robot with a screen that shows your face and where you're looking, and you can Mm -hmm. actually control it remotely. And it has a camera that replaces your eyes. So you as the person beaming in can now communicate with others. And I had one of those in my house and it was a one, one story home. So that robot could actually just drive anywhere. So, people from my workplace could beam into my house and just drive to my office and start up a conversation. It's pretty awesome. I don't know what my wife thought about that, but it was interesting.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot of these experiments will fail and some of them will be silly. Um, But I think that we'll get there as long as we, we're going to feel so bad that we're going to want to do it. Like that's, what's going to happen. Some people are going to go back to nature and just say, screw all this technology stuff. I'm tired of this. Others will say, all right, we need to make this work for us because these web 2.0 companies are literally just extracting our souls and giving us nothing in return and it feels terrible to use them. People will eventually start demanding better ways to communicate with each other if we're going to remain so digitally focused.
0: Okay. So if we are digitally focused, there's a problem that I've been looking at and I don't quite know how to solve it even for myself, even as a single user, which is Obviously to find people who are closer to you in terms of values and interests, you need to go towards a smaller community and not a larger one. But then the smaller the communities get, the harder they are to find. So how do people find the community where people have the same eclectic set of values and interests that they do? Is there a way to generalize it somehow? Do you you want
1: weird ideas that I've had for this?
0: Absolutely, the weirder, the better.
1: Okay. so. You know what an embedding is. I don't really know what the, the audience is. It's just we'll called this uh, taking a bunch of information and squishing it down into a compressed representation. And so uh, the reason that's useful is you can bizarrely, it just boggles my mind that this is still possible. You can compute compute things that are similar to it. So you can say things that are nearby here. So you can express your preferences on an open protocol, compress it down into an embedding, and basically put it out as like an open order, like on Craigslist. Think about it like an order book. I am buying people who are have a growth mindset, like cycling. <laughs> it, it sounds <laughs> like matchmaking. It's basically Match what the maker. matchmaker does. It's, yeah. it's a matchmaking protocol. Uh, and you just put it out there. You say, we are looking for these people. And then on the sell side, you have people who are like, I'm bored with my, my friend group. Or I need better friends who are rockstar CEOs who weightlift. And so they they put out their sell orders. But here's who I am. Here's like what I've done, what I've, all the information behind it, so the two can evaluate each other. Uh, there's probably some use for zero knowledge proofs in here for privacy, uh, and then we're matchmaking each other. But you don't need a central intermediary; you can just do this with each other. And then basically, you go on a date. You know, like people, like hey, cool, welcome to like the club. Like you're in the little baby playpen area. You're not allowed to access the rest of the community, but like you can hang out with us on Wednesday. We'll see if you're cool. Just like in real friendships, you don't immediately invite people to live with you. For a roommate, Like you, you've got to feel them out a little bit. Like, hey, what's us meet for coffee. I just want to make sure you're not crazy or a killer or you talk too much when you should be listening or whatever, right? Whatever your values are. Um, so we need a way to sort of put out those uh, bid and ask um, orders for each, for people. Uh, and I think our current platforms are not incentivized to do that at all. Um, it sounds like they mean, could, though.
0: Like, nothing is stopping Facebook from taking all the data they already have about their users, embedding it in a single vector, and then trying to see what's the nearest vector to yours.
1: Mm-hmm. Nothing nothing is stopping them from doing that. Maybe they will. I don't know. Uh, but I think that mostly they're monoliths who don't really do anything as long as they're making this much money. So they will, once they start pressure, pressured somewhere to start actually innovating again
0: my brother works for facebook so careful there but (laughs) hey (laughs) man
1: i bet he would say the same thing (laughs) Um,
0: no comment Uh, but yes it's it's an interesting idea i haven't thought of it that way it could be also that with some rules in place you can now break people into smaller groups break people into mastermind groups or break people into interest groups automatically without just asking them to go and search for groups with this keyword, which seems to me like a completely dysfunctional method.
1: I think it would be great if those preferences were learned maybe by knowing what you do on your devices all day. Some other way, it's based on what you do and what you say and how you act, what you've accomplished, all your everything that we've collected about you. I can figure out what your preferences are without you having to type them in and remember everything. And I know what's actually important to you versus like What is just something you say you're into that you don't really do anymore? It's been four years since you've done it. Um, And then you can you can learn these things and that creates a better user experience.
0: I think it goes beyond that, because if you just look at the list of things that I do, it doesn't actually represent the list of things I'm willing to do to hang out with cool people. Right. I'm pretty willing to go and do something that I haven't done before just because I know the kind of people who do it are my kind of people. Mm, That's true. If you represent my personality as opposed to my list of past hobbies that would be much more useful
1: yeah there's um this is uh, gets into human psychology our idealized self is totally different from actually what we do (laughs) so there's a lot of nuance here but at the same time there's a lot of value in matching people based on what they actually do versus what they say they are just look at any resume you'll see how everyone looks like a rock star but when you interview them um, they're not able to answer the very basic questions that you would have hoped um, they would have been able to Well, somebody who's looked
0: at a lot of resumes now, most of them don't look like rock stars either. (laughs) Um, So so yeah, I I see a lot of things, but I I guess you're taking it in a slightly opposite direction from the one that I had in mind. I'm thinking that activities are actually kind of malleable, right? People's identity stands above their choice of activity. And so the fact that I've done boxing in the past, but I haven't done jujitsu doesn't actually say that I have a strong preference towards one or the other. I have a preference towards whichever one happens to have people that are more interesting to hang out with, right? And maybe in one city that tends to be boxing and another it tends to be jiu It doesn't matter to me. Maybe some people have a strong preference, but at least with me, I think most activities I have no strong preference with. I'm willing to try a different one after six months. It's the people that I'm after when I'm doing this.
1: Well, you know how algorithms work. Like I think that over time, you would be using some unsupervised algorithm anyway, and it would learn which features are similar and which ones matter and which ones don't. It may end up deciding that what matters is that it's a team sport or an individual sport. What matters is that it's relaxing or exciting, or that it gives you opportunity to talk to the other person casually, or whether it's very structured. It may learn those features instead. Uh, So I think it, but ultimately, I would just wanna see a bunch of experimentation and lots of ways to organize how we interact and talk to each other. And I I have no strong opinions on which one will be right, only that we try lots of interesting ones.
0: It sounds like another thing that is probably lacking in the infrastructure right now is feedback. And because even Meetup, I'm sure they have a lot of data on what Meetups I RSVP'd, right? But they have no idea if I showed up or not. And so Mm -hmm. as long as they don't know that, they have no data to feed into this unsupervised model to figure out which Meetups I might also like.
1: It's true, the real world data, like you can capture that with AR glasses or slap mics on people. Um, I, I happen to believe that it's it's good to have the equivalent of cash money, right? It's nice to have something that is not recorded and is private preserving, privacy preserving and a place where the computers don't go. Um, but that's my personal preference. And I'm sure there will be people who run around with AR glasses on all the time recording lots of data for uh, Facebook and the like to get information about real world events. If they can better mine that and sell the ads. Personally, I think that,
0: that trend didn't last long, right? With Google Glass, I think that lasted about a year, and then you stopped see. seeing them everywhere.
1: There's money there, though, isn't there? So it'll eventually get uncovered. There is money there.
0: So I was in cameras at the time. We were being approached by many companies that wanted to do the equivalent of Google Glass. And my objection to all of them was, if I don't want to wear glasses, how can you convince me to do it by adding tech to them? Right. To mm-hmm. me, it's just, I'm not the kind of person who would put something on my face. It seems like that's two thirds of the population. So that's why I didn't believe in glasses as kind of the place where you put a camera. It had to be something else. Yeah, Maybe it I has mean, to be like your lapel, like police officers do.
1: Yeah. Who knows? Uh, that's This is not my area of expertise. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Let's go back to your area of expertise. I know you have a bunch of wild ideas. Pick one at random. Let's run with that. I
1: pick one at random. Hey, hey hold on. Let me let me pull them up. Are <laughs> sure. um, so, you know, sure? Let's, so, let's go with something that's more information related. Uh, you mentioned voting earlier. I think that I would love to see, um, I'm a big fan of uh, uh, like decentralized and automated protocols. I think that they're a fascinating way to have sort of ground up um, organization and uh, to really start replacing a lot of the roles that we think that only centralized entities can do uh which is you can do th- let's just take voting for example right so that's very high level let's just say you put voting on like a blockchain or something very simple pretty easy use case well this affords a lot of things you couldn't do before um and you can do things like well why do we vote in the U.S anyway why do we vote every four years uh, because it's difficult to move people around and move paper around and like it's just disruptive like the cycles are arbitrary the fact that the number of representatives we have are mostly arbitrary uh, decisions made based on past physical real-world constraints that don't even matter anymore. So, okay, cool. You've put voting in digital. You can vote from your website now. Great. All right. Who cares? Well, what it means is that theoretically, you could switch your vote at any time. Like, There's no reason why you can't. It's literally it's going in and changing your profile uh, on a social media platform. It's as easy as clicking a button. It sure would be cool if you could just delegate your vote at any time. This also affords a bunch of other weird things like, well, there's also no reason why you can't do a fractional vote. That's completely unfeasible on a paper ballot where you have to look through each uh, each, uh, possible candidate. It would be awesome if I had not one candidate who has to know everything about foreign affairs, defense, like manufacturing, all every social stuff, literally every possible thing that a country could care about. Somehow this one representative has to be an expert on, which obviously they're not they just have a bunch of aids to do that stuff so it would be nice if i could have 20 different candidates one which is a specialist in each domain and if i don't like them instead of waiting four years to vote them out i can change my my delegated vote on a dime maybe there are rules
0: you're assuming that the bills are actually single topic but the problem is you have omnibus bills with a thousand different topics kind of buried in them
1: but how many of those things are a a consequence of the way the system is currently organized, where one person has to care about everything. How would things?
0: Are they a consequence of that? Or are they just a consequence of an agency problem where the agents have a different interest than the voters do? And because they have much better information than the voters do, because they're spending much more time on it, it actually benefits them to push a thousand different topics into a single bill, because that makes it less likely that the voters will read it.
1: Right. You have an alignment problem between the representatives and the actual voters, um, but I would posit that if your ability to govern uh, can be diluted or taken away from you on a very low time frame, or it you are giving the people who are voting a lot more ability uh, to, to change you. Also, the other reason you would do this is that the fact that we, at least in the United States, we, we have a lot of representation by physical area makes zero sense because so much of our interest groups have absolutely nothing to do with where you live. Now, that doesn't mean it's never, it does matter somewhat where you live, but that should be a portion of your delegated vote. And right now it's very little. Gerrymandering, for example, makes this incredibly gameable. I care about what happens at a national level uh, on a specific topic, I don't care. It shouldn't matter where I am. That's not really relevant. Um, So this sort of divorces the physical world from Um, the actual people you're picking uh, so that that also creates more and more alignment so the goal is definitely voter alignment but allows you to do really crazy things like fractional fractional and delegated voting or like i don't want to have to pick all this stuff in fact i'm going to pick who's going to pick because i don't even want to pick i don't know anything about like corporate finance law can i challenge
0: you and propose the opposite sure and this is not my idea i heard it in a ted talk and unfortunately i don't remember who said it but why don't we eliminate the representatives then? Have you trained an AI avatar that is basically a low resolution version of you with your values, but has enough time to read every single bill and votes on the bills instead of on the people who will vote on the bills?
1: Yes, that that is actually where I'd go, but not straight to AI, although you could incorporate that. Uh, it would be that, wait, why do we have these representatives that are, are, are voting at all? Well. I think because you can have an arbitrary number of them you can any literally anybody can run for representative like you can have a hundred thousand of them you can have a million of them and in fact that is basically just a direct democracy except they're all choosing anybody could vote themselves directly you are allowed to vote on any bill as your own representative just like you can represent yourself in court you can be one-to-one if you want Um, but most people aren't going to do that they're going to pick whoever they think is knowledgeable whoever they trust to cast their vote but, for them but the reason
0: they do it is that they have limited time so of course they you can't. can't actually read every single bill that goes through right. congress if you have another full-time job
1: that's right so you're going to pick people who will hold your vote but if you ever decide that you don't like how they're behaving with it for whatever reason or you don't like the outcome even if you don't understand what they did you can change it to somebody else or to yourself or if you would like you can use an ai to help you make a choice or if for whatever reason we go this way, you can have the AIs make the choice directly for you. Um, but this is there's no there is no reason we cannot do a system like this. Now I think you experiment with it and you don't roll out with the crazy version right away. Um, but these are the kinds of things that I think we will start saying like, well, you know, now that it's digital, why do we have like 500 people? It doesn't make sense. Like this is too few people for so many. Like we should have way more diverse viewpoints and. Why am I married to you for four years? You can do whatever you want. You don't care. And you have all these special interest attachments. If you are sucking at your job, I want to be able to fire you and switch to somebody else.
0: In theory, you could, right? But even realistically, you don't have them for two years or four years at a time. You have them for about 50, right? Because the reelection rates for incumbents are 97% or something like that, while their approval is 10%. So it's not like you actually get to kick them out at the end of the term. Usually you don't. They get to pick their own constituents anyway.
1: So I know that this sort of thinking is like, okay, this is silly, it's never going to happen. The gap between here and there is too, too wide. But I would actually say that uh, there are periods in history where an enormous amount of upheaval happens very quickly. And you really wanna be ready with some good ideas for when people are like, well, now what? <laughs> hey, I've got a couple ideas, we should do this. Like, that's the time to push them. Is like, hey, I know you guys are all real upset, why don't we make this change and then there's a lot of desire to make a big change right because you know whatever corporate or political elites are like okay okay listen i get you're unhappy what do you want it's great to have your demands already tested and thought out or at least have some great ideas to push and start experimenting with uh, you don't want to be scrambling to come up with great ideas uh, at the drop of a hat because that doesn't really happen these things need to be experimented with on small scales and just to see if the they even work and what the edge cases are so we should get started before we need them
0: yeah and and it immediately i think in my mind connects to your first idea of executive control for people as well because if you look at how people make their voting decisions right now for the most part their votes are bought by whichever candidate has the better get out the vote campaign or the better ad campaign etc people aren't actually sitting there analyzing every candidate by their track record and by their issues It's emotion driven, it's kind of ad hoc. And so the question is, would it make sense for people's voting decisions to actually be delegated to a higher self of that person as well?
1: I like that. I don't know how you get people to agree to that system. (laughs) Uh, They
0: get to pick the higher self. It's maybe open source and they get to tweak the parameters. But then at some point they might want to say, well, I don't actually want to make this decision on the next november 4th or whatever because Mm -hmm. maybe i'll be angry maybe i'll be upset
1: Mm -hmm. i think a lot of this is also solved by an adjacent idea um for wagering with attestations this is basically a way of saying the difference between what people say they want to look good in front of others and what they actually selfishly want and do there's a big gap there, and that's there's a lot of evil air quotes in between there. This is how you get like sort of greenwashing, like corporations who're like, yeah, we're doing great because they know it looks good to say that, or any number of politicians. They say they will do something, then everyone knows they won't. There's a gap between what they say and what they do, um, but with clever ways of holding people to what they've said uh, and penalizing them by forcing having them opt into saying things like. I believe in these high-minded ideals but they don't act them out in the real world there's actual money on the line uh or measurable social status scores these are all just ways of getting people to opt into systems that hurt them if they don't act like uh they don't act towards the higher ideals they claim (laughs) but don't actually act out um or penalizing them by some measurable social score again by watching their activities to see how they diverge from what they said they would do um so we do a lot of this stuff already this is what like gossip gossip and shame and stuff are for they're the same thing but now we need to port that stuff onto the internet we can't be all anonymous all the time lobbing insults at each other um with no no penalty i think the lack of a punch in the face in the internet is actually really bad because that's what keeps people from your kids at soccer game from saying really vile things sometimes is they know that ultimately if you cross a line like you're going to get You're going to get knocked down like this is how it is so you can't say something really cruel about somebody's child in front of them there's going to be repercussions but you sure can on the internet and they sure do um so the lack of the punch in the face is actually something that we're kind of missing and we need these sort of like ways to socially attack each other in a civil way to guard our behavior Uh, because when you're invulnerable and anonymous on the internet you can say and do some really weird stuff that others don't approve of um And when you do it in public without their consent, it's not great. So we need some more clever mechanisms for interacting online to allow that sort of stuff.
0: So the funny thing is your soccer example happened to me in real life. Whoa! I I played soccer in Israel, and so basically everybody is Jewish on both teams, except one kid who turned out to be an Mm anti-Semite, and he said something after being fouled, and then 21 other kids were basically racing who's going to knock him out first. Whoa! (laughs) See, so yeah, the the goalkeeper from the other team beat us to it because he was closer to him. Um, but yes, so that really happened, and yes, I'm sure that he was not saying anti-Semitic things during games after that.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, and it doesn't have to always go to that level, right? Because really, that's how like the threat of force or really just social shame in general is like. It always starts with a hint. Like, there's always like, hey, you should stop that. Like, we don't appreciate that. It, it doesn't necessarily have to escalate to physical violence right away, but it's, there's an ultimate check on how we behave around each other. There's an understanding that we we can all hurt each other, let's not, and so let's figure out a way to do it. And rather than, because you can't hurt me, I wanna do whatever I want. Let's say whatever I want and do whatever I want. And that that is not great either. And I think we'll look back from the future and think, well, that was insane. Like, why in the world would we want that? Um, so, but we have to opt into those new systems.
0: So as our last topic, I actually want to try to latch to something you just said and see if we can explore the converse of that. So you talked about people not living up to their higher ideals, but we also see examples of the opposite where people are falsifying their preferences in public towards things that actually don't make sense. Right. So I was born in the Soviet Union. There were a lot of people that paid lip service towards the road to communism and our bright future. But in reality, nobody believed that crap. I see things like that happening in the U.S. right now. And so my question is, if you're building systems that know something about people's actual preferences, can those systems be used to signal to the minority that they're not alone? Right, That nobody actually believes this crap, even though the majority pays lip service to it. And so you can stand up and actually speak up because others will support you. You're not alone
1: yeah i think that's another use for this technology and a lot of the stuff that i just talked about if we used it indiscriminately what it would actually allow is um an oppressive minority or majority to just straight up crush an authoritarian way everybody else uh, because we know everything about you and we can measure behavior and just stomp out the people we don't like uh, so we don't want that what we want is so i think this is where stuff like zero knowledge proofs come in now there's a lot of other things to do Uh, where you can, so the voting example, nobody knows how you voted. You can change those votes at any time and you can express your preferences however you want, but it's not attributable to you. Now you can say that you voted. And if you choose to, you can reveal different things about your preferences individually to people, but nobody gets to just look in off the street like in Facebook and know exactly where you live, everything you voted for, everything you said. You have to choose to reveal that to them. So while that data still exists and you can allow others to train on it, it's very hard for them to pin it back to who you are individually. Um, So no one service ever has the full piece of the puzzle. And it's very hard for people to sort of triangulate who and where you are to oppress you.
0: But uh, but the question is, can can they use group information anyway? Or uh, can it be used for good, I guess is where I'm going with this, right? Maybe I have a belief and I think I'm alone and I'm afraid to voice it because it seems like society is going to cancel me for it. But maybe I can ask the system, well, how many people actually believe this thing. And it turns out it's 40%. Okay, now I can talk about it because I'm less afraid.
1: Yeah. So let's think about the same thing. Let's say the attestation wager, like uh, you're saying, I believe that, um, you know, racial injustice is bad, whatever it is, however you want to define it, right? I putting this value up there. um, Now everyone else can weigh in on that and this will go on their profile or whatever, right? However you want it, it'll be assigned to them, but they don't know while you get to vote, They don't know who you are. And because they can't be attributed back to you, the vote is technically anonymous. Uh, So there's no reason for anybody to lie about it because they don't know who you are, but they can see that a real person voted for it. You know it is a real person and that's it. So you can express your preference without being worried about retaliation. That's really what we're looking at is a fear of retaliation. So when you're not afraid of how you'll be judged about what you want to say, you say what you believe to be true. Um, So then you'll get closer to a true ex- expression of preferences. Now we delude ourselves all the time, so there's no perfect solution, but this prevents at least retaliation from like, well, I don't wanna say this because what about what my neighbors will think? Or what about the people around me or anybody? Um, I don't just wanna, You just think about like Facebook echo chambers right now. If you're in a like a highly religious conservative Facebook group, you can't say certain things. Uh, you just simply can't, even if you believe them because you're afraid to. Um, but it would be great to be able to express those preferences in a way that they show up in the aggregate beliefs and that everybody can see that, oh, this is actually a very common belief. And then it allows people to sort of move toward back towards the center overall and express their true beliefs in public because they know the real stats. This is like knowing people's pay when you're working around you. So you know what all your coworkers make, but you don't necessarily know who makes what. Um, that is a great way to sort of solve that coordination problem.
0: Yeah, and that's exactly what I've Kind of thinking about right if i drive 20 miles in any direction outside of austin i'm going to get into a neighborhood where you see basically trump signs everywhere and i'm pretty sure there are some democrats there when i look at the voting data but none of them will actually put a sign or a flag up but the same thing if i go to downtown austin there's never going to be a trump sign but 30 percent of them vote for trump anyway my point is People are afraid to express their preferences if they think that they are in the minority, but if we can somehow tell them with better resolution than just Trump, not Trump, on every particular issue, you know what, 30% of the population actually thinks that, so you're not outside the Overton window. You're, you're okay. You can talk about it and tell people what you really think. We will get a lot more honesty in the conversations we have,
1: right? Mm-hmm. Yep. This is a good way. You just want to fracture the sort of false like um, dichotomies that we keep forming for ourselves. There's a lot of ways to express many axes of preferences because that's how real humans work. We can't be compressed down into a single line on the left or right, it's ridiculous, utterly ridiculous. Um, and we would like to be able to express those in a safe way. There's a lot of tinkering that needs to be done on that. This is just, those are the ways to change how we express ourselves and interact and communicate uh, to better serve how we really are rather than how our systems have incentivized us to be. Right now, we don't really think about our systems like that as affecting us. And for the most part, it's not like some malevolent hand or actual people pulling the strings. It's just the way these systems work is they afford certain behaviors and they make some others harder. And then over time, you converge on the same thing that looks like somebody has created these bad outcomes. It's just that we've been kind of thoughtless about how we put them together. And many of them we can change without even fighting profit motive.
0: I don't even think that we put them together. They evolved to be what they are. Maybe we had a hand in creating the selective pressure, but we didn't do much more than that.
1: Let's give ourselves a break. This is all pretty new. So, and I think we're just now going, oh, wait a minute, hold on. <laughs> this isn't working. So this conversations like this is about, hey, maybe we can put something better together if we sit down with a little bit of forethought about how to design this and start pushing for those ideas. Uh, without holding on too much, I believe that yeah, open protocols are really the way to go, because now you're not in competition with one another. Would it be nice to be able to profit off your ideas and build them? Yeah, that's awesome. Rewards are great. They incentivize you to do stuff. But the ideas themselves, um, when we push ideas, we care less about who implements them, and just that we get the good outcomes. Um, so that's what that's what I think.
0: So on that hopeful note that a bunch of people will actually build out these experiments and the best ones will win. I want to thank you so much for joining me today. I hope to have uh, this conversation again sometime. I'm sure our ideas will evolve over time.
1: Yeah, let's, let's do something with them. That's what's important.
0: This has been another episode of The Other Web. Join us next time for more discussion about news, media, and the information ecosystem as a whole.